You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ellie Shannon. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I go over campus news with new details on ASCSU Speaker of the Senate, Kyle Hill's resignation, and talk about an arrest made in connection to the murder of Danielle Hopton. I go over new updates in COVID-19 statistics and policies, and we hear about The Hair Show, hosted by the Black and African American Cultural Center and the United Women of Color at CSU. After that, Coda goes over details on the trial of Ahmed Arbery and explains why the Census Bureau may be getting new regulations. Then we hear about the recent Houndmouth and Buffalo Nichols concert from KCSU music director Bridget Bandell. To conclude today's show, Coda explains some updates on technology with information on Instagram time limit options and Apple AirTags. Let's move right into campus and local news. On to campus news for Tuesday, February 22nd. Mary Ontiveros, the founding vice president for diversity at Colorado State University, died this past weekend surrounded by her family. Colorado State University President Joyce McConnell stated in an email to the CSU community that between Ontiveros' time as a CSU student and working as a CSU employee, she was a Ram for 51 years. Ontiveros was named CSU's first vice president for diversity in 2010 by then-president Tony Frank and served in that role for 10 years. She retired in December of 2020, and the Associated Students of Colorado State University held a ceremony for her that can be found on their website at ascsu.colostate.edu. If anyone would like to honor her legacy, a donation can be made to the Ontiveros Latinx Fellowship Program. ASCSU Speaker of the Senate Kyle Hill resigned on Monday, February 14th, and the resignation followed allegations of misused funds as well as violations of the ASCSU bylaws and CSU's principles of community. Hill did not speak on these allegations and stated that he was resigning due to time conflicts with his major as a biomedical sciences student. According to Noah Paisley of the Collegian, former parliamentarian Jackson Hunter will fill the role of speaker for the rest of Hill's term through May 2022. Senator Brandon Baum was also elected speaker pro tempore in ASCSU's 17th session of the 2021-2022 school year. Hill will still be finishing projects he started, such as the bike security bill. For more information on ASCSU, visit collegian.com. The CSU men's basketball team will be going up against the University of Wyoming tomorrow at Moby Arena. The game starts at 7 p.m., and for all updates on CSU sports, make sure to listen to Eliza Drotar coming up soon. Now on to local news. Fort Collins has been bracing for its coldest storm of the season as temperatures will continue to stay below freezing until the weekend. Make sure to keep up to date on weather in Fort Collins, and listen to Coda Babcock coming up with weather updates. Ian Reyes, a man arrested last February in connection to the murder of 18-year-old Danielle Hopton, pleaded guilty to lying to police during the homicide investigation. Hopton died in February of 2021 from injuries sustained in an assault from a previous boyfriend. The night before, Reyes and Hopton were out with a group of friends, and Stephen McNeil, her ex-boyfriend, was also in this group. The group drove and parked in the 500 block of Drake Road. Hopton and McNeil stepped outside of the vehicle to talk while Reyes and two others waited in the back seat. McNeil assaulted Hopton shortly after that, and Hopton was found in the parking lot late that night. According to Sadie Swanson and Aaron Udell of the Coloradoan, Hopton was taken to UC Health Medical Center of the Rockies in Loveland, where she died. The next morning, Reyes lied to police stating he did not know who Hopton was and that he had no idea how she was assaulted. After further evidence surfaced for police proving otherwise, Reyes was arrested in February of 2021 along with Stephen McNeil. McNeil is facing murder charges and is set to appear in court March 29th for a disposition hearing. After Reyes continued to make poor choices since the incident, including arrest for another domestic violence incident, He was sentenced to 54 months community corrections for attempting to influence a public servant and 36 months in community corrections for a September 2021 felony menacing charge. For more information on Danielle Hopton, visit coloradoan.com. 
According to a Facebook post from Larimer County Sheriff's Office, police are asking if anyone has seen the most wanted man in Larimer County right now. Jeremiah Nathaniel Houston, who also goes by Little Crazy, has multiple warrants out for his arrest. This includes drug possession and possession of weapons. For more information or to report anything, visit facebook.com slash Larimer Sheriff. Thanks for listening to my news updates for February 22nd. Make sure to always tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hey, this is the Red Scare, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of Ellie Shannon's campus and local news, check out our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at KCSU Music to listen back. I'm Kota Babcock, and this is COVID-19 Updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports nearly 9,000 total cases of COVID-19, and the university continues to see cases fall after a major spike when returning from winter break. CSU no longer offers saliva testing and now offers voluntary antigen testing due to a lack of need required for COVID-19 testing. Larimer County reports over 74,000 cases of COVID-19, along with over 460 deaths. The county also reports a weekly case rate of 184 cases per 100,000 residents, and just under 6% of all COVID-19 tests taken in the county come back positive. 34 COVID-19 patients receive treatment in area hospitals, which report that intensive care units are at 90% utilization compared to typical care levels. Due to high rates of transmission, public health officials recommend the following precautions. Get vaccinated and boosted against COVID-19 if you have not already. Wear masks indoors when people from outside your household are present. Masks should fit snug, and KN95 masks are especially recommended. Monitor yourself for COVID-19 symptoms and stay home, even if your symptoms are mild. Get tested immediately if you notice any symptoms of COVID-19. If you test positive, seek treatment and isolate. Postpone all indoor gatherings, and in the case that it cannot be postponed, require that attendees be vaccinated and wear masks. Consider limiting the number of invited households present and move activities outside if possible. Employers are encouraged to promote remote work options for employees as well. The county also reminds residents to continue practicing social distancing. The state of Colorado reports over 1.3 million COVID-19 cases and over 12,000 deaths as a result of COVID-19. Over 4.7 million Coloradans have taken at least one test for COVID-19, and around 60,000 people are currently hospitalized for COVID-19. 10.2 million total vaccines have been administered in the state of Colorado, and 3.9 million Colorado residents are fully immunized against COVID-19. Nationally, the CDC reports over 78.2 million cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. and over 930,000 deaths. Around 81% of eligible people received at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose, and community transmission is high across the country. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 updates. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the Centers for Disease Control. If you are a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine results, schedule saliva screenings, and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. The Black and African American Cultural Center and United Women of Color at CSU partner to put on their annual hair show on Sunday, February 20th. The event took place in the Lori Student Center Theater, where vendors and visitors were enthusiastic about the event's in-person return after an online-only event in 2021. Yeah, 
Vendors included Jada Perez of GroovyThings.co, Anatolia Russo from Anatolia Crochet, Willie Tills from Bringing the World to You, also known as BTWTY, Sharma Threat from Sharma's Hair and Accessories, LaDonna Jones from Brushbox Arts, Destiny Brown, who owns Sultan Elixirs and Bad Productions, as well as Jay Jordan and her brand of the same name. Vendors offered clothing, jewelry, and more. And each vendor was excited to be there for a different reason. Many vendors first started their business in 2020 during the COVID-19 lockdown. So my name's Jada Perez. Uh, my name for my business is GroovyThings.co. I simply sell sterling silver jewelry with genuine stones, and I make. I eventually I want to make my own jewelry, but those are. I have to reach those steps. But we're making them, and I got inspired basically because of my grandfather, and he helps me a lot with this. But but I just really love doing this because I know personally I can't wear fake jewelry. I my skin gets really irritated, and also. Who doesn't love rings? Who doesn't love good jewelry with good stones? It adds just that extra touch of being fabulous. Well, I'm most excited to get, connect with other people, and I know some people that come to CSU. I love this school. I was going to come here, but things don't work out that way. But I do love it, and I love to help just be here. If I can't make a sale, at least I can help be there for other people. So I'm excited to be here today because I'm from Denver but I'm up at CSU and I get to meet all these awesome college students and connect with them and see where that takes me on my journey. And hopefully I make a couple connections here today with people that grow my network and really bringing the world to you is all about creating community and culture. So I'm just excited to meet some new people and hopefully sell some merch. Anatolia Russo. And then can you tell me a little bit about your business? So I moved here in the middle of the pandemic, had no friends, no social life, so I just picked up crocheting. And then I just decided to start selling it, and here we are. <laughs> what are you most excited for being here today? Um, just to meet new people. I haven't done a pop-up in like five months, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And I've also never been on the CSU campus, so this is very exciting for me. Yeah, that's my personal one. And hair accessories yeah, and extensions. I'm in um, Denver. <laughs> Get to see ladies walk around with nice hairdos and also sell my wigs as well. I am Brushbox Arts. My name is LaDonna, and I'm the owner and founder. Um, I started in 2020 when the world went crazy and decided to make art out of everyday items. So this is functional artwork. Um, they're acrylic pieces that I cover in resin and they're functional to be able to use on the refrigerator or on your tables. I'm most excited about being exposed to other people for the first time in two years. Tell me your first and last name. My name is Destiny Brown. All right, and then why are you excited to be here today? Um, I'm excited to be here today to see the hair show number one and also to meet some new people because I think we have a lot of people from Greeley, Denver, Fort Collins here, and obviously I'm a vendor. So Tell me a little bit about your business. Um, my name is Jay Jordan and my brand is also Jay Jordan. Um, it's a mix of handmade fashion items, garments, and accessories, and then I also do um, vintage and pre-owned reselling. All right, and then why are you excited to be here today? Um, I'm excited to be here just to network, meet people, and also for the hair show. I've never been to hair shows, so I'm excited to see that. Once again, those vendors were Jada Perez of GroovyThings.co, Anatolia Russo from Anatolia Crochet, Willie Tills from Bringing the World to You, Sharma Threat from Sharma's Hair and Accessories, LaDonna Jones from Brushbox Art, Destiny Brown from Sultan Elixirs and Bad Productions, and Jay Jordan in her brand of the same name. For the hair show, contestants were judged based on three categories, which were Back to Our Roots, Unity, and Freestyle. Judges included Rima Cowherd, Adiola Adjaja from Africans United, and James Holland Jr. from Zach's Barbershop. He's also known as Hans the Barber. The stylists included Jasmine, who works with braiding, among other styles, and BJ or Barakat, who works as a barber. For the Back to Our Roots category, Barakat's first contestant came out with a fade with curls, and Jasmine's first contestant came out with a half-down crown with Bantu knots. For the second round of Unity, the first contestant had a mid-bald taper for the barbering, and the second contestant had braids with highlights and wooden beads. For the freestyle round, Barricade's contestant had a mid-bald fade on curls, along with a design shave near the hairline, and Jasmine's last contestant had cornrows. 
to show this beautiful space. Judges, for taking this, for taking on the task of making this difficult decision today. Thank you. Silas and Ben is taking a leap of faith to showcase their artwork and creativity. Your participation and willingness to support young women of color is the reason why we continue to put together this hair show every year. Members for showing up and always being there when we need you all. And current exec board, Mike Young Squad, for making sure that everything for the show is taken care of and handled. If you all could please join me on stage. I know this is in the back, so it's just me and Taylor up here. Um, but yeah, I do want to also give my thanks to Jordan and to Salima. We're just a three women team. We put this all together. You know, it, it was tough, but I'm really proud of them. been styling hair since say senior year of high school freshman year of college I actually had a lot more experience than then so I started off braiding and straightening and styling my own natural hair probably since middle school because my dad stopped paying as much money for me to go get my hair done and as a lot of black women know especially getting extensions in their hair can cost upwards of around $200, um, getting your hair straightened even like $100, like maybe 60 to 100. And so my dad was just not trying to pay all that money. So I learned how to do my own hair so that I could still have those styles without my dad having to pay for it so often. And then I just found joy in that and I wanted to share that joy and love of making other people's hair, especially black hair, looking good and people feeling good with their hair. Black hair is everything. Hair especially in the black community, is a huge part of our identity. Just there are so many facets of our hair, whether it's the curl, it's the kink to it, and our hairline, or how we want to style it, how we prefer our hair, even like our foreheads and going into that. For me, like I didn't grow up where, again, my dad was kind of a penny pincher, but like where I didn't have like the prettiest of clothes or like the nicest of clothes, but I had good clothes and they did well. But then you kind of look around and everybody else is like, out here walking out in Air Forces and they ain't going to like H&M and like Forever 21, at least for like the girls anyway. And I didn't always feel the prettiest, but I always enjoyed, even like as a little kid, when I got my hair done and my mom was braiding it, spent all night braiding it, and she put glow in the dark beads. I'd be going to school and just be shaking my head, um, <laughs> and just happy and excited because my hair looked good and I felt good. So if I could share that feeling with other people, so I may not have the nicest clothes, or I may not be the prettiest, but I know that if my hair is good, then I feel good. So I wanna share that feeling with others. I was nervous. I took a lot of time into this. I didn't know what the competition was really gonna look like. I think my opponent, he did a great job in styling and cutting his models. And I just, I think I did a really good job in not only styling my models, 
but also catering it towards the, the theme of the evening in each of the categories. And I just gave each of my models the confidence in something new that sometimes they didn't even expect that they would look good in. Now that we've heard from the winner of the competition, let's hear a little bit from the judges. My name's Adela Aulaja. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, James Holland Jr., him pronoun. All right, and then what was it like to judge for the hair show this year? Uh, it was pretty cool. I've been to hair shows in the past by UWC, and it's just a little different since COVID has... Uh, not just COVID, but COVID contributed to the decline in the uh, participation and involvement of all the students. But it was still nice to see everybody out representing, being in community and everything. Uh, you know, it was kind of an honor to, to be down here to judge the hair show. It's been a long time for me. I mean, I'm a former student myself, and it's been a while since I've been on campus. So. To be able to, you know, see the students be, you know, energetic, you know, about doing hair and that kind of thing, especially post-COVID, you know, um, and just seeing the, the interaction going on, I had a great time. Her models were uh, closer to the closer to the narrative, I should say, the subject matter, um, especially uh, emphasis on, you know, the roots one. You know, they came out with the braids, they had the uh, the extras on the braids and stuff like that. That's that's definitely part of black culture, you know, as a whole. So, in other words, you know, kind of like we say amongst each other, they understood the assignment. Um, uh, that was that was the biggest thing, and their interaction with the crowd was just a tad bit more than, you know, their uh, opponents. All right, and then do either of you want to kind of talk about what you do in your professional lives, your personal lives that kind of led to you being the judges this year? Uh, I'm a student at CSU. I was supposed to be a contestant myself um, as a barber. I just started out. I'm still just getting started. And I'm a psychology student. I have about a year left. But yeah, I have a lot of hobbies. Cutting hair is one of them. I cook, probably not the best combination, but <laughs> different areas. Uh, yeah. That- Me, I was brought in. I just opened the first uh, African American black barbershop in Loveland, downtown Loveland. Um, also, you know, I was a former student here, too, so that might have a little bit to do with it, too, but I think mostly just because, you know, no owner of the, the barbershop. If anybody wants to come down to back, uh, the Black African American Cultural Center is a great place to be. It's good to be in community with your people. Of course, it's Black and African American centered, but anybody is welcome. We have a lot of different organizations through the office. I do not work for the office myself. I'm just kind of being a... Uh, a champion for everything they have going on. They put a lot of good stuff together. Um, check out their Instagram page for the rest of the Black History Month events. And yeah, come come by and say hi. Once again, the hair show occurred on Sunday, February 20th, around 5 p.m. in the Lori Student Center Theater. If you want to learn more about one of the judges, James Holland, also known as Hans the Barber from Zach's Barbershop, you can check out his Instagram at Zach's Barbershop, also on Facebook. His website is zacksbarbershop.com, and he's located in downtown Loveland at 329 North Cleveland Avenue. We'll be right back. KCSU does not only provide excellent content for your airwaves, but it also provides excellent content for your internet. Go to kcsufm.com for KCSU's latest in-studio performances, podcasts, album reviews, sports wrap-ups, and more. Go ahead and bookmark it. kcsufm.com.
we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. The U.S. Census Bureau is working with the Biden administration to prevent political interference in future census counts. According to Hansi Lo Wang at National Public Radio, the Bureau's director, Robert Santos, told NPR that they will work with the Department of Commerce to create new regulations to avoid meddling by future presidential administrations. This comes after evidence of former President Donald Trump interfering with the Census Bureau's operations in 2020. Interference included the proposal of adding a citizenship question to the census, adding new appointees without obvious credentials to the Bureau, and preventing adequate counting efforts during the COVID-19 pandemic. While the census is part of the Department of Commerce, proposals to move the census into its own independent, non-politically-based department have continued. Santos told NPR, quote, I will support whatever it is that Congress decides that they want to do, end quote. The next two stories describe brutality against black men and trials related to their killings. These stories are about a total of two and a half to three minutes. During the closing arguments of the hate crime trial of the three white men convicted of killing Ahmed Arbery, a federal prosecutor told the jury that the men acted out of racial animosity. According to Rich McKay at Reuters, Christopher Peras, who served as a prosecutor, said that there was no reason for the three men to chase Arbery or attack him besides his race. In closing arguments, Peras said that Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, William Roddy Bryan, quote, were motivated by racial assumption, racial resentment, and racial anger, end quote. Paris pointed to evidence throughout the trial, along with previous derogatory statements made by Travis McMichael about Black people proving racial motivations in the attack. The family of Dante Wright said they felt racism was inadequately addressed during the trial of former police officer Kim Potter. According to Amy Forleady at the Associated Press, Potter, who worked for a suburban police department near Minneapolis, was convicted on manslaughter charges after shooting him, saying she mistook her gun for her taser. Potter was given a two-year sentence for first- and second-degree manslaughter after Wright's death, but his family and activists believe his death was a result of racism. Activists believe Wright would not have been pulled over had he been white, and that the sentence length for Potter was based on her being white. Ben Crump, a prominent civil rights lawyer, represented the Wright family in court. Brooklyn Center officers pulled Wright over for expired tags on his license plate, a violation which activists say disproportionately impacts black motorists, leading to deadly interactions with police. The United States is believed to have credible information, saying that Russia has a list of Ukrainians they intend to kill or hold as political prisoners. According to Melissa Quinn and Kristen Brown at CBS News, information on this was reported to CBS News by a United Nations diplomat. Ambassador Bathsheba Nell Crocker, a U.S. representative to the U.N. in Geneva, said of the situation with Ukraine, quote, We are deeply concerned about Russia's continuing human rights abuses in the parts of Ukraine it already occupies and have every reason to believe those concerns will multiply following a new military offensive, end quote. In her letter, Crocker said that abuses could include targeted assassinations, kidnappings, imprisonment, and torture now that Russia is in Ukraine. All of these actions would be targeting Ukrainians publicly opposing Russian occupation and actions in Ukraine. The Human Rights Division at the UN confirmed that they received Crocker's letter Monday. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is the Rocky Mountain Review. Now for an overview from the Houndmouth Show at the Aggie Theater with Bridget Bandel. Hello, everyone. I'm Bridget, also known as Brigie Smalls, and you're listening to the monthly music podcast here at 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. On this podcast, we dive deep into our everyday music with episodes that include interviews from artists, concert reviews, curating our staff picks, and more. I'm the new music director here at KCSU, and if there's one thing you need to know about me right off the bat is that concerts are my weakness. My dad told me that they're actually my kryptonite, and he's not wrong. Like, it hurts, but he's not wrong. Because no matter how much money is in my bank account, no matter how far away the show is, and no matter what I have to do the next morning, if there is a concert, I am going to go. And that's what you can expect from me on this podcast. Good old concert reviews. These aren't just regular reviews, however. They're going to be broken down so we can fully analyze all the moving parts in concerts. I can never just go to a concert and give it a simple 10 out of 10 rating. My brain works in this super annoying way that I focus way too hard on the small details like what's going on behind the scenes. And though it may be annoying, this method is actually super cool and helpful in this case because with my weird brain, I can share some details that you might miss at concerts. Which brings me to our first segment of the show, the tiers and the categories. 
Each concert I go to, I break down every component in the show and rate it based on the criteria. Each category is then brought into consideration when putting the act in a tier. The show is first put into a tier without comparing the show to anything else, then ranked in a tier again, but this time as an overall tier compared to every concert I've been to. The categories are crowd, band vibe, set list, song changes, aesthetic, and overall vibe. The tiers from lowest to highest are Eh, they were free tickets, meaning you had no expectations and they still didn't meet them. No thoughts, just vibes, meaning it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it was just a solid vibe. I discovered my new favorite band, meaning the live performance was way better than anticipated, they sounded better live, and would see again. And the final tiers would sell my soul, which I don't feel like I have to explain this one, but means no matter how much the tickets are, I would see that artist 75 more times. So, for example, if I was to give a 3 out of 10 for the crowd, but a 9 out of 10 for the band vibe, it would probably cancel out enough that it would make it into the no thoughts, just vibes tier in the first round. However, in the overall tier compared to all the shows I've been to, it would probably go to the eh, they were just free tickets tier. Does this make sense? I wish I could add visuals to the podcast, but I can't. So we should just move on now that you get the basic process when it comes to analyzing a concert. Let's meet the band. In today's concert review, we'll be covering the recent Houndmouth Buffalo Nichols show on February 4th. Houndmouth is an indie rock alternative blues band from New Albany, Indiana, formed in 2011. Consisting of Matt Myers, Zach Appleby, and Shane Cody, the indie band has amassed over 2 million monthly listeners on Spotify, with their most popular song, Sedona, having over 100 million streams. They have four studio albums, three EPs, and so many singles you can stream now. And I've known about this band ever since my sister showed me the song Sedona in the car, so when I heard they were becoming to Fort Collins, I knew this would be a perfect show for my first review, especially since it was at the Aggie Theater. The Aggie Theater is located right off of College Street in the heart of downtown Fort Collins. Personally, it's one of my favorite concert venues solely because I can walk there in about 15 minutes and stop at Insomnia Cookies on the way home, but that's besides the point. Founded in 1906 and once home to a furniture store and movie theater, the Aggie transitioned in 1995 to a concert venue. It has hosted nationally acclaimed groups, regularly drawing long lines in Old Town even on the coldest winter nights, which I can vouch for. The Aggie's a super personal theater. It's one giant GA ballroom with a bar raised on the left side and a ramp where people crowd into. There's two bars when you walk in, usually a small merch table, and this is all two feet inside the doors. The walls are covered in giant abstract paintings with the stage lights turning them different colors throughout the show. The stage is small yet powerful with a balcony to its left where you can see equipment managers work and the stage door to the right. The small yet bright theater transports you into a different world for three hours. Now that you know the Aggie and the band, let's get into the night. Okay, so let's set the scene. It's 7.50, the doors opened at 7, but the show started at 8. Me being the cocky concert goer I am, I thought I was being smart. I said, by the time I get to the box office to get my ticket, the opener will have definitely started so there'll be no one in line. Wrong. My friends drop me off at 8.05 and the line is wrapped around the block. Mind you, it's 20 degrees outside and I have jeans and a teddy coat on. I was not dressed appropriately. This is the true concert experience though. Standing in a long line to get in while anticipating what's on the other side of the door is like my favorite feeling. However, I couldn't really feel anything in this weather, so I was just excited to get inside. By the time I finally reached the door, it was 8.45. Buffalo Nichols, the opener, had been on for a hot second by the time I got in. I raced to my corner on the right wall right below the ramp. My safe spot. I immediately start paying attention to Nichols and notice it's just him up there shredding his guitar. I'm in a trance. Let's get into it. Buffalo Nichols is an indie blue artist from Milwaukee. He blends classic blues elements with modern music to appeal to a new crowd. He was awesome. Right away, if I have one regret from the show, it would not be coming to see Nichols earlier. Again, I walked into him shredding the guitar. It was just him, his red and white guitar, with one of those beat loop machine things like I've seen Ed Sheeran play it live. Sorry that that's my reference, but he's he's played it live before. Insane. Instantly when I see an artist on stage completely by themselves or like with little background, it blows my mind. The confidence and the talent they must have to pull that off is so high, I can never... 
Anyway, that song quickly ends and he does a guitar change, now a brown one, then moves on to his last song. It's a beautiful slow blue song with a heavy electric guitar solo. The dark blue and teal stage lights reflect off his cool feather-looking earring, and he finishes up his last song. He thanks the crowd, which always gets brownie points, and starts packing up his things at 8.58. Though I only saw two songs, my instant score of his set was a 9 out of 10. But let's break this act down, shall we? Reviewing the crowd during an opener is always a coin toss. They either have no idea who it is and they're not paying attention, or they're completely jamming out. You could tell the crowd wasn't familiar with Nichols since it was a bit quiet, but people were moving. I was even doing a little shimmy in my corner. He definitely won over the crowd, and the crowd gave him some love that he deserved after every song. The crowd for Nichols gets a solid 7 out of 10. Nichols' vibe was on another level. As I stated before, he was alone. That on its own is a 10 out of 10 because of the skill it takes. From the two songs I watched, his vibe was stellar. He was interacting with the crowd, playing groovy music, and you could really tell he was enjoying himself. Since I can't assess the full vibes, I have to give him a 9 out of 10. The setlist category is going to be short. I didn't know any of his songs as he was playing them, and I didn't get access to the full setlist, so this one is going to actually get a score of NA, but it won't affect the overall score. The song change category kind of goes along with the setlist. Since I didn't see the full set, I really don't know if he had any song changes. This category will also get an NA, but it won't affect the overall score. The aesthetic of Nichols' set was very beautiful. That's really the only word I can use to describe it. The blue and soft lighting went along with his slow songs that really made it a groovy, chill atmosphere. And that's like my dream atmosphere, so 9 out of 10 for aesthetic. The overall vibe of Nichols' set from the two songs I saw was very solid. He's a true performer, and I still can't get over his guitar solos. His voice was hypnotizing, and his songs definitely got stuck in my head after the concert. So his overall vibe, 10 out of 10. Now that we have broken down each category for Nichols' short set, it's time to put him in two tiers. For the first tier, not compared to anything else, his set would go into I Discover My New Favorite Band. However, when comparing his set to all the openers and headliners I've seen, I think he would go into No Thoughts, Just Vibe. Really, the only reason it would be knocked down a peg overall is because I didn't see the whole set, but I would definitely see Buffalo Nichols on his own headliner tour. But now, let's get into Houndmouth. Right after Nichols leaves the stage, teal lighting is shot into the crowd and upbeat indie songs begin to blast as we wait for Houndmouth to start. The setlists are put on stage at 9.05, and that's when the crowd begins to build. On my left, I see what looks to be 40 to 50 people crowded on the balcony trying to secure the best spot. The ramp I am standing on, which only included me and another group during the opener, suddenly was filled with 10 new people all trying to see. This is my favorite part about the concert. One minute, it feels like you're the only one in the room, but then you look up and there's 20 new people squished around you. At 9.45, the music and lights turn off. This is when my heart starts racing from anticipation. Houndmouth enters to natural stage light. Las Vegas is the first song they decide to play, and with purple lights flashing as soon as the first guitar string is picked. The concert was in full swing now. Bright colors flashing and changing after every song. The nastiest, in a good way, guitar solos high energy, and a lot of screaming from the band because the energy from the crowd was firing them up. Also, shout out to Mark, the tour manager, for handing out water to the crowd. I danced and enjoyed the upbeat indie rock music for a good hour and a half until a six-foot-two man-bun man stood directly in front of me, blocking my view, my least favorite thing about concerts, but it didn't ruin the vibe. By the time man-bun came in front of me, my phone died and the encore of For No One, Ohio, Coming Around Again, and Sedona was finishing. Houndmouth closed the concert with yet another powerful guitar solo and said goodnight. It was around 11 when I got out, but I don't quite remember since I didn't have my phone. But my initial rating of the concert was a 10 out of 10. But let's break it down some more. The crowd for Houndmouth was definitely on the older side. There was about a handful of college students or people my age there. And though the demographic wasn't really for me, the crowd had a lot of high energy and screamed the songs back to the band while getting a little jiggy. It was a sold-out show, so I expect nothing less, but this crowd definitely deserves a 10 out of 10. Houndmouth's vibe is hard to explain and not in a bad way. I can say what I've been saying this whole time, on a different level, or solid, but it was more than that. 
They were playing to the crowd. They were there for the fans. They had the biggest smiles on their face and they were seriously playing the hardest guitar riffs, hitting every note and interacting with the crowd very often. Their vibe during this concert made me like them like 50 times more, so I give the band's overall vibe a 10 out of 10. The band's set list was very solid. They started with Las Vegas, a more upbeat indie rock song, but had a good mix of chill blues songs in between the rock songs. I also love that they wanted to play Sedona um, at the end. And I know that's like obvious that the artist is going to play their most popular song at the end, but it still brings me joy. So I'm going to give their set list a 9 out of 10 only because I didn't really have any expectations for their set list, but they did deliver nonetheless. Houndmouth changed a couple songs, adding a couple more ad-libs and note changes here and there, but it wasn't that dramatic. They did go above and beyond in their guitar solos. I know I keep saying this, but their live guitar solos, oh my gosh, they were longer than the studio version. They were heavier, they were sicker, oh my gosh. So that definitely adds to the score. Their score for song changes is a solid 8 out of 10. I want to give it a 9 out of 10 because of the guitar solos, but like I feel like I'm just going way too off about this, so I need to calm down. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. The band's aesthetic of their show was spot on. They had the right colors on the stage for the right songs. Purple, red, green, yellow when it was high energy, and white, blue, pink for slow blue song. They looked like every indie band, in a good normal way, if that makes sense. They just had the necessary things that they needed on stage. I would give their aesthetic a 9 out of 10. Houndmouth's overall vibe was a carefree night to feel like you've fallen in love for the first time, but then experience your first heartbreak all in a two-hour period. You know those songs that they play in indie coming-of-age movies? Yeah, that's Houndmouth. I was totally transported out of Four Collins for the night and right into a sunflower field or or out of a sunroof, like just screaming some songs and slow dancing in the kitchen. Those vibes, you know, A24 coming of age indie movie, that is Houndmouth. The much needed emotional roller coaster Houndmouth took the audience on deserves a 10 out of 10 for overall vibe. Now that we have broken Houndmouth set down, it's time to rank the show. For the first round of tiering, not comparing it to anything else, this show would go into the I discovered my new favorite band tier. And honestly, when comparing it to the other concerts I've been to, I would keep it right there. Again, I learned about Houndmouth through my sister, so she's the bigger fan. And I'll admit, I didn't know a lot of songs before the show. I only knew them because of her. However, they proved to be true performers and made me add their whole discography to my Spotify library, so yeah. I do think I discovered my new favorite band. My overall experience at the concert was fantastic. I didn't really have any expectations. Again, I wasn't really a fan of them. I've heard about them before, but this concert made me a true fan. Again, I added their whole discography and I wish I was like over-exaggerating to my Spotify library and I've just been listening to them on repeat. They were so good. The cold was quickly forgotten about once both acts pulled out their guitar and proceeded to shred them as well. But they also turned the Aggie Theater into into a high energy atmosphere. If you ever have a chance to go check out Buffalo Nichols or Houndmouth, I highly recommend it. I want to thank the Aggie Theater for letting me come review the show and letting me find my new favorite band. And I also want to thank you guys for listening to our podcast and supporting us here at KCSU. It's because of you listeners that I'm able to do these cool things. So I hope you enjoyed my first take on the music podcast. I'm Bridget. Stay tuned for more concert reviews in the future. Peace and love. Bottom is high school queen, you know you should KCSU presents Poetry Open Mic Night, welcoming poets of all levels of experience to come in and share their work and skill. The event is a great opportunity to hear poetry from young poets around Fort Collins. The event will be held every third Saturday of every month. If you're interested in reading your poetry live on air, visit tinyurl.com slash kcsupoetry.
My name is Eliza Jotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. In women's basketball, the team is 18-7, and winning their last two games against Wyoming, 45-56, and Nevada, 62-55. Their final home matches are against San Diego State and UNLV. In men's basketball, the team is now 21-4 and with their loss to UNLV, 51-72. Their next game this week is against Wyoming for the Border War. In women's softball, the team is 2-8 and eight, with their most recent win being against Montana. In track and field, the team of men and women are on their way to the Mountain West Conference this weekend. Best of luck to our student-athletes. In women's golf, they took 11th place at the show at the Spanish Trial in Las Vegas. In men's golf, they will be competing in the Prestige Tournament this week to begin the spring half of their season. In women's swim and dive, the girls were undefeated during the season and took fifth in the Mountain West Conference. If you are interested in student tickets, men's basketball tickets are sold out. I repeat, they are sold out. But women's tickets are still available. You can pick up your student ticket at csurams.evenue.net. My name is Eliza Drotard. This has been your RMR Sports Report. I'm Koda Babcock, and this is Tech News for KCSU Fort Collins. Instagram plans to discontinue short time limit options in the app, with the new minimum time limit beginning at 30 minutes instead of 5. According to Mia Sato at The Verge, users can now set their time limits for up to 3 hours. After a settings update, users reported seeing a change in the time limit options, and users who took advantage of shorter time limits in the past reported getting a pop-up saying these options were no longer supported by Meta. Daily time limits for Instagram first became available in 2018, as other apps began offering the same. Around this time, operating systems began offering new ways to track screen time, leading to a demand for limits. This shows that Instagram may be concerned that users aren't spending enough time in the app to view ads or otherwise engage in content. After windstorms hit northern Europe recently, Poland made a new record of wind energy generation. According to Monika Sislauska at the Associated Press, The windstorm generated about 30% of total demand for the country's energy. The Polish power system, also known as PSE, told the Associated Press, quote, We registered a record level of power generation from wind farms of some 6,700 megawatts, end quote. Poland normally operates primarily off of coal power, with wind farms supplying about 10% of total energy in the country each year. This new record showed a variety of energy stakeholders in the country the potential they have to rely on wind in the future. After AirTags became popular among stalkers and car thieves, Apple recommends that people who find AirTags that aren't theirs immediately report to law enforcement. According to Michael Levitt at National Public Radio, while AirTags do not have their own GPS system and depend on the location data of local Apple devices, the products still allow for stalkers and car thieves to know a user's general location and use it to their advantage. Stalking Prevention Awareness and Resource Center Director Jennifer Landhuse said, quote, If the offender is monitoring the victim's actions and sees that the AirTag has now gone to the police station, that can escalate the situation and put a victim in more danger, end quote. Landhues suggested to NPR that victims should contact police by calling them in a public place, as as that is the safest option for people who believe they're being stalked. That's all for Tech News, and now for the weather. Today we saw cold and cloudy weather with a high of 12 degrees and a low of 0 degrees. Luckily, winds weren't too severe at 10 miles per hour. Wednesday you can expect a high of 11 with a low of negative 1. It is expected to snow Wednesday starting in the early hours of the morning, continuing throughout the day. Thursday, temperatures will start to warm up to a high of 22 and a low of 3 with partly cloudy skies and no snow expected after 4 a.m. And for Friday's weather, tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. on the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. You can also tune in by searching KCSU News on Apple Podcasts or by downloading the KCSU app and navigating to podcasts. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, David DeMuth, 
Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Bryn McCall, Jack Balsley, London Shell, Hannah Hitchcock, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Bridget Bandel, Eliza Droder, Dylan King, Michelle Ellis, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie. And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you.